This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everyone. This is Joe Krause of Jacob Media Partners with an incredible amount of gratitude. I want to thank the WPHT radio listening audience for embracing and listening to a lot of great programming on the weekends right here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Shows like Beer, Chips, and Politics, The Labor Show, Good News in Real Estate, and the Lawyer to Lawyer Network. Then there's my favorites, Voices of Faith with Jim Brown, Roadmap to Retirement, the radio show. And the Sunday night weekly special, Women to Watch. From labor to medical to legal and everywhere in between, Jacob Media is proud to provide this great audience with exceptional programming. On behalf of everyone involved with Jacob Media, happy holidays. Oh, I almost forgot. Presented by Ocean Casino and Resort. Go for the live shows. Go for the win. If we don't move in our own direction, we're going to become extinct. In fact, in some cases, we're close to being extinct right now. Presented by the law offices of Pond, Lee Hockey, Giordano. Talk, listen, and speak to the region's most influential leaders. This is The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause. Here we go with a live show tonight on a Saturday night here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. This is The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause as we come to you live. at special two-hour show tonight. We open up tonight with a Boilermaker Union Energy Special. It's also, J. Doc, our uh, final show. Not our final show before the year closes out, um, but no show next Saturday because next Saturday um, the celebration of Christmas occurs and uh, WPHT does a great job on Christmas Day uh, with a lot of spirited holiday programming. Uh, that means you get the day off or the night off on Christmas Day, uh, but we will, we will be back for our final show uh, of the uh, of the year on New Year's Day. Yeah, it's a great time of year, Joe. Very celebratory. Uh, lots going on. Uh, we're ecstatic to be a part of uh, uh, Talk Radio twelve ten WPHT, the family, and, and it, it's it's been a great year. Um, one of the things I want to do is shout out uh, Willie Brown. Uh, the, the, yeah, the big news for Willie. Sure, President uh, TW two thirty four. Uh, he's going to the international, so he he stepped down, uh, which was you know was expected. You know he's going to to, to Washington D.C. He's done such a a fantastic job here in Philly. Um, has negotiated great contracts for his members uh, and done a great job for uh, the citizens of Philadelphia who ride you know the the, the SEPTA buses, who who ride the Frankfurt L, who who ride the trolleys. Um, done everything, bent over backwards, and has done a great job on behalf half of his members and of course brian pollitt is the new president we're going to be introducing the delaware valley to him as well yeah and i will say this about willie brown and i think it i almost feel the parallel of willie brown being on the labor show the last three appearances by willie brown here on the labor show um were all right in the middle or leading up to a potential strike had him on all three times, 
where we were able to talk through all of the details with Willie as much as he would uh, he was able to put out there. Um, so really, really good stuff, and I'm happy for him. As you said, great labor, great labor leader leaves a legacy here in Philadelphia moving on to the international. Uh, absolutely, and he, like I said, he done great by his members and the uh, city of Philadelphia, and, and in my opinion, SEPTA as well. So uh, congratulations, Willie. Welcome, Brian Pollitt. And um, we, you know, we look forward to moving uh, with with Brian in, in throughout the new year. And I'm sure we're going to have Willie on again. Um, you know, they have phones in Washington D.C., so you know, look forward to that as well. And we got a great lineup tonight, of course, uh, in hour number one. As I mentioned when we first came on the air, it's our Boilermaker Union uh, Energy Special. Our good buddy John Bland's going to uh, from the business manager from Boilermakers Local 13 um, is going to join us here and be part of uh, the full hour here in the first hour and then John will um, give us another uh, 15 minutes in hour number two when we transition into uh, the second hour uh, of the labor show. Peter Gleason uh, who's the partner at the law firm of K&L Gates um, returns to uh, the labor show. We had a great segment with uh, Peter um, on the very topic that we're going to talk about uh, tonight, perhaps a more enhanced conversation now uh, from the first time. And then Sean Lane is the president of Government Affairs with Olympus Power LLC. And Sean uh, will join us. All three uh, will join us for the full hour here. Uh, again, we are live. We're all Always live on Saturday nights here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. So we have all three gentlemen on the line right now, but we're going to start off with John Bland, our good friend John. By the way, John, you're making history tonight. I believe John Bland's the first labor leader in the history of the show to, 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 to be on both hours, uh, and that's a tribute to who he is and what he's done for his members. Uh, John, how are you, sir? Good, Joe Doc. Thank you for having me. Joe Krause, thank you very much, sir. Yeah, well, you're welcome, brother, and appreciate you coming on, man, and appreciate you um, putting this together. We'll have a good spirit of dialogue. One thing that I want to alert all of the listeners, uh, John, is that to tune in, uh, when we get to the end of this hour, I can say with an unconditional commitment, you will be more educated about the conversation we're going to have. Oh, yeah, man. uh, For sure. Yeah, we're going to be talking about something called Reggie, and it is not Reggie Jackson. Uh, it, 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 it's something that's going to affect and potentially affect almost every Pennsylvanian. Uh, let's just start off right off the bat with, with John. John, what is Reggie? What is the, And remind our listeners, because we've talked about it several times, uh, and what is the status, the status of it? Okay, I'm going to break it down really simply. I'm going to, you know, let me uh, let me thank a couple of people first. Now, I'd like to thank Sean Lane from uh, Olympus Power. First of all, you know, he's been dedicated to the labor movement, and uh, like I said, he supported a lot of uh, boilermakers, a lot of other trades through Pennsylvania and throughout the Northeast. And also, uh, Peter Gleason. I can't say enough about Peter Gleason about educating citizens in Pennsylvania with the PA Job Alliance. How devastating Reggie is going to be to Pennsylvania. Basically, Reggie is an executive order from Governor Wolf, which he rolled out, I think it was in 2019. Reggie is really, is it's a greenhouse gas initiative, which will put a tax or fee on power generation from the fossil industry, which, which will be devastating to the Pennsylvania citizens. And, 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 and John, talk about who's going to be affected by Reggie. You know, 
I'm glad you asked me that. And, you know, taking a look at that, the only people harmed more than organized labor by Retchie are poor and senior households, including our retirees who will be forced, faced with massive electric rates, increased caused by the Reggie carbon tax on, on electricity. Now, I'm sure later on tonight, uh, Peter and Sean are going to talk about the rates on that ballpark right now. Joe, if you're looking at your electric prices right now, say you're paying $200 a month, they're probably going to go up 50 to 75%. And they're going to have a little more effects on that than I do. And and so let me do this, because uh, we're going to have more with John Bland. Let me let me bring into the program uh, first Peter Gleason. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, sir. I really appreciate you having me back on the air, fellas. Oh, it's our pleasure. Uh, and Sean Lane, how are you, sir? We may have lost Sean. Peter, are you still with us? I'm here. Okay, uh, uh, Peter, let's start with it. Okay, thank you. Uh, Peter, let's start with you as a follow-up to what John said. And from the last time that you joined us, you can bring us up to speed um, and also start to hammer home and start to continue to educate the public so they understand, you know, what this really means. Sure, be, be happy to do so. It will certainly set the stage. Uh, I mean, we are definitely in the in the late innings uh, of this uh, of this ball game. I mean, the, gar- the governor kicked this off in the fall of 2019 when he directed his Department of Environmental Protection to move forward with a regulation that would force Pennsylvania into the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative that is run by a New York City-based uh, corporation uh, called Reggie Inc. Uh, and, uh, you know, essentially what it does is it will impose a massive carbon tax on electricity generation uh, in Pennsylvania. It will force the premature closure of every coal plant in Pennsylvania and many natural gas plants. Two-thirds of our generation comes from coal and natural gas, and that will all be taxed at a, at a very, very high level. Uh, you know, to, to John Bland's uh, point, as he just said, I mean, the two biggest victims – uh, as far as Reggie moving forward, if the General Assembly can't stop Reggie or if the courts, uh, if the General Assembly comes up short and, uh, and, and the courts don't stop Reggie, uh, I mean, the victims are it's going to be organized labor. It's going to be blue collar families who work in and around the plants, uh, the ones who build the plants, the ones who maintain the plants, uh, their families, their communities. Uh, and at the same time, it's going to be uh, it's going to be families. It's going to be households. Uh, residential electricity payers pay 40 percent more for electricity than do industrial or commercial uh, rate payers. But small business and poor and senior households are going to be looking at rates uh, at a minimum of 20 percent more, up to 30, potentially 40 percent more. And this is on top of some recent announcements made by the PUC just in the last couple of weeks that everybody's uh, rates, electric rates, are going up in Pennsylvania now. Even before Reggie, in, in Philadelphia, over the last couple months, uh, residential rates have gone up close to 15%. Uh, in the central PA area, they're looking at a 26%. Some rate payers are looking at a 50% increase. And this is even before Reggie takes effect. So just you know, sort of to elaborate a little bit on, uh, you know, on John's quote about you know, who the victims are, it's, uh, it's poor and senior households, and it's, uh, it's blue-collar labor. And and what's interesting about this is this, like John said, it's a uh, this is an executive order by the governor, um, and and it it's not it hasn't passed um, 
you know, the, the state Senate, uh, it has not uh, passed the House. Um, talk about that, because he's 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 putting his foot down here. And, you know, and, and, and it's it's really I mean, this thing is dangerous. It, it, it really is. I mean, the, the notion that a governor without any legislative authorization, without any legislative approval, you know, without any uh, review from the people who are elected to make these big policy decisions uh, is choosing to move forward to essentially restructure the entire electric generation industry uh, in Pennsylvania. He, you know, this policy will take us from a massive electricity generation exporter to one that to a state that would have to import those rates, it would impact rates. You know, if if you use just the DEP formula, and the plants were to stay open, and as we will discuss later, they there's no way they can stay open. But it would be an eight hundred million dollar annual tax that would be passed on directly to ratepayers. And these are decisions that are being made by a governor through a regulation that doesn't have statutory authority, and that, candidly, the vast majority of the General Assembly, both the House and Senate, have taken several votes to disapprove, to reject, uh, and to otherwise object uh, to, uh, you know, to the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative because they know it's bad for the people. It's bad for ratepayers, and it's bad for workers, and it doesn't do anything to help the environment. Peter, one last thought before we go to the commercial break, and then on the other side of the break, we'll bring, we have Sean, Lee, uh, Sean Lane back, and we'll bring Sean in, who's the president of Government Affairs with Olympus Power. But just uh, one last thought, and I want to I, I want to put it in simple terms. So excuse the ignorance of the layout, but just from an understanding, the governor wants to impose a tax that is going to cripple the unions and the workforce, the blue-collar workforce. It's going to lead to higher cost for seniors, for people of, that are in the lower income bracket or in the middle class bracket, and it ultimately is going to force and increase unemployment in the state all to get what? <laughs> that's, well, that, that, that's a good point, because the answer is all to get nothing. Yeah, uh, and you know, we're, by the way, we're going to cover that, because I can't wait to get to that point uh, in, in regard, and, and, what, because you're, he's going to do something that's not going to make any difference at all. And we're going to talk about that particular uh, part of the whole deal. It's a waste of time. Exactly. We'll take our first commercial break here on The Labor Show. John Bland, Peter Gleason, Sean Lane joining us all live. The dialogue continues. We'll introduce you to Sean Lane on the other side of the break. Back in a moment. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by IBEW Local 98 North, UFCW Local 1776, Sheet Metal Workers Local 19, and the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, DC 21. This whole nonsense about not giving workers the right to organize with so-called right to work, that's bad. Something like that comes to my desk, I'll be to it, not just because I'm a Democrat, not just because I'm pro-labor, but because I know for a fact that's not very smart. I gotta go into production and I gotta pull that Governor Wolf soundbite out of that line drop on the way back because I don't 
And uh, frankly, I don't understand that. Welcome back, everyone, to The Labor Show here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, John Bland, Peter Gleason, Sean Lane are all with us. We'll bring Sean into the conversation uh, to open the segment. Sean Lane, President, Government Affairs, Olympus Power, uh, LLC. Uh, Sean, let me give you an opportunity uh, to um, at least give some opening Thoughts. Uh, I know J Doc's got a, a laundry list of questions, and he wants to get into some some concrete dialogue. Um, but at least for the benefit of the audience, um, you know, give us kind of an opening remark from your position. Um, you'll represent um, a group that owns interest in two of the largest coal-fired plants uh, in Pennsylvania, not to mention other electric generation assets. Um, Opening remarks from you, Sean. First, welcome to the show, um, and thank you for being here. Thank you, Joe. Um, I, I guess, you know, the, the, from the outset, our, uh, as a company, we're one of the investors in the Keystone Economa coal fire plants in western PA. Um, and, uh, you know, we've always viewed Pennsylvania as, honestly, a great place to invest and to operate. It's It's one of these jurisdictions where um, everybody from, you know, the, the top or the bottom rung of any organization has a member in their family who is a, a, a power plant operator, a miner, maybe they worked in the gas industry, maybe they worked in heavy manufacturing or, or steel or something that was, that was really tangibly related, or reliant, uh, related to or reliant upon energy. And we've always felt that as an energy investor, we were embraced in the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, frankly, when Reggie was kicked off in 2019, our reaction was confusion, frustration. We immediately saw financing that was about to close uh, get pulled on the market because of the the lender's view of the threat of Reggie and what it meant to the uh, to the power plants. So really, from the the introduction of Reggie, um, we viewed political risk, um, the introduction of political risk into the Pennsylvania market and Pennsylvania energy industry, in a way that it really had not existed before. Um, and I, you know, if you look at it fundamentally, um, what Reggie does what Reggie is is a major restructuring and re-regulation of the electric generation sector of Pennsylvania. Um, I don't know if you guys, I'm, I'm old enough to remember in the mid '90s when the electric sector was deregulated. That took a number of years, went across a couple of administrations. There were there were laws and regulations passed at both the federal level and at the state level to restructure what generation meant in Pennsylvania. The, genera- the, the state legislature had a, had a very large role. The Public Utility Commission had a role um, the looking out for the consumers and the, at the same time as the duty to serve and the reliability and resilience of the generation fleet in Pennsylvania. Uh, all of those factors were taken into consideration. And unfortunately, none of those factors are here today. Uh, you know, as Joe mentioned earlier, we've got a, a, an executive order that has not only introduced this political risk into the environment, but it has substantial and far-reaching um, implications to restructure what it means to generate in Pennsylvania, a decision to invest in new generation in Pennsylvania, and to continue operating existing facilities in, in Pennsylvania. Um, so it's a big, big step. Uh, and, and, um, 
you know, when you look at the substance of Reggie itself, um, I, I think it's kind of really easy to break down uh, how, to, how to view the, the regulation. It's, it, it doesn't do two things that it says it does. It does not yield meaningful climate benefits. Um, Pennsylvania does not live in a, a silo, and reducing CO2 emissions in, within the borders of the Commonwealth doesn't magically change the CO2 emissions in a regional or global sense. We live in a region, we actually operate within a, a, a electric generation market called PJM that extends from Indiana across Pennsylvania to Delaware, Maryland, and down in North Carolina. So whenever you look at CO2 reductions, you have to look at them regionally, at least, if not nationally. And we know that any generation that we eliminate in Pennsylvania will be replaced elsewhere. So the right. CO2 reductions aren't there. And that's and that's what we're talking about here. So that yeah. we're going to decimate ourselves, okay? We're going to voluntarily decimate ourselves, and then Ohio and West Virginia are going to pick up that you know those resources, and nothing's going to change in the atmosphere. That's those, exactly that's those, exactly right. And now other people will say to you, well, okay, that's interesting, but you know what, Reggie will give us other monetized health benefits, air pollutant benefits. Well, first of all, if you want to deal with air pollution, that's regulated at the federal and the state level, and there's laws for that, and you should drive passing and, and, reg- and promulgating laws that are focused on air pollution. But we know the PADEP thinks Pennsylvania to be in compliance. They've actually done a series of presentations where they show Pennsylvania and all of its monitors, except for one outside of Philadelphia, to be fully in compliance with the standards of the Clean Air Act. The one that's not in compliance, by the way, sits right along the I-95 corridor, and that doesn't have anything to do with power plants in western Pennsylvania. Um. <laughs> I mean, I don't think the people know or understand what's about to hit them, okay? No, and, I agree. And, and, yeah. and, what's, and what's absolutely insulting is the fact that, um, you know, uh, our political bodies, okay, or, you know, our, our both houses have voted this down in the governor is going to make a decision that's going to impact lives across the land. I want people to listen to this, okay? This is the, the, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, okay? And at this point, we're about ready. Uh, do the people know about this? I was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Sean. I mean, do, do they really understand what's about to hit them and what doesn't make sense here? You know, I, I'm sure the answer is no. I mean, it's, it's true of almost any issue in our society today. There's there's passing knowledge among some people and probably not enough in-depth knowledge about, you know, the implications. You know, on the surface, people are saying, well, this is all about the climate, and it's important. And you know what? There's a lot of good-faith people who believe that there are climate issues. But the funny thing is, Reggie doesn't address the climate. At the end of the day, it doesn't yield climate benefits. It doesn't lose air pollution benefits. But there's some things we know it does. We know it's going to destroy hundreds of millions of dollars of economic investment. We know it's going to kill highly skilled, good-paying blue-collar jobs across the state, not just even at the power plants themselves, but all the companies and businesses that rely upon either up or down the food chain you know, the, the, the act, business activity of those power plants to survive. I mean, even down to the guy who's got the pizza parlor around the corner from the power plant or the, yeah. the guy who owns the hardware store around the corner from the power plant who gets enormous business when a plant's in an outage. All those people will be adversely affected. We know that energy costs in the Commonwealth are going to increase. I mean, Pete and, and John both pointed out that, that Reggie, as it sits today, is at least a 20% increase in generation cost. And you know what? After this first increase, 
we're not going to see it in our bills in Pennsylvania. It's going to continue to creep up. And after this first one, which gets a lot of, as you said, you know, people aware of it, no one's going to, it will be like the frog in the boiling water, you know, slowly getting killed by the power price increases that no one's going to see because of Reggie, because that PUC role that used to exist in the old days before deregulation does not exist as a, as a, good faith arbiter or, uh, you know, someone looking out for the people of Pennsylvania as these as these power costs increase. Peter, why is Governor Wolf insistent on implementing this? What's the point? I, 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 I know I asked it. I know I asked it before before going into the break, but I, I'm sitting here consuming the content like a listener. I'm trying to understand it. I don't get it. What what is the governor doing? Yeah, uh, you know, I, uh, I I I wake up every morning and I try to answer the same question myself. I mean, for the life of me, I've been around for a long time. I've seen a lot of energy policy issues come and go. I've never seen one that is dumber and and less appropriate for a state like Pennsylvania than this electricity carbon tax. So it's, yeah, I'm going to jump you know, in on there. I, I I look at it like it's the environmental cancel culture. He's bowing down to the environmental left. And at the end of the day, well, who, who, who? He's the governor. Who? The environmentalist, the Democratic governor that's in office because the entire union community from one end of the country. He's been good to, to labor. Other, he's been it, good it, to labor. Su- I supported him. Uh, listen, it, labor's a big. You know, we got a big community. Okay, and that that's one part of it. Okay, it does not make sense to me it, when the input. Impl- look, look, look what happened with the uh, what the refinery in Philly. Okay, it sold for twenty. What was it? Twenty five million dollars at the lowest bid by twenty million, twenty five million dollars. Nobody said a damn thing about it. Okay, that's because the, the environmentalists were, were were jumping up and down, and nobody and they're making all the noise. Okay, and the and the our political leaders are running for cover. So to me, that's what this is about, and the people don't even know it. And John Bland has said it a hundred times. Why aren't we working together? Why aren't we working together and doing this? Everybody knows where energy's going, but you can't do it all at one time. John? John? Hey, uh, Joe, thanks a lot, buddy. Uh, But uh, let me tell you something. You just brought up, we all supported uh, Governor Wolf. I mean, in the beginning, we all supported him. It's so secret that every virtual, every state, regional, and local building trades union opposes PA and entering Reggie. I mean, that's a fact right now. Just about everybody in PA is against us. Our con- congressional leaders, House senators, leaders, by majority vote, reject to join Reggie. My personal opinion right now, Doc, the citizens of Pennsylvania have spoken, and they don't want to join Reggie. It would be constitutionally wrong for the Governor Wolf or the Lieutenant Governor, Josh Shapiro, to push us forward, entering this right now. The people have spoken. Yeah, and I just on that one point. I mean, I, we heard the governor at the uh, his commercial right before this segment started, and you know, candidly, I, I think a lot of us you know, would wish the governor would put his money where his mouth is. I mean, if he supports labor, then he would stand with labor against Penn Future and the Sierra Club and these radical anti-worker, anti-family environmental groups. He would stand with labor. He would stand with his you know, poor and senior households throughout the Commonwealth uh, and support them instead of billionaires who are investing in green power initiatives that, you know, that benefit from you know, capital destruction policies like the regional uh, greenhouse gas initiative. So, yeah, I, I, it's, it's hard. to. It's hard. I mean, yeah, we hear that he considers this his legacy. Um, it's sort of a check the box for the environmental movement on climate change. Uh, but if facts matter, 
Um, there really is no legacy here. The legacy here is destruction of capital, the loss of jobs. Uh, it's a, a punch in the face to the building trades uh, throughout Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a punch in the face to retirees, including union retirees, uh, on fixed incomes and poor families. I mean, there's nothing more regressive than a carbon tax because it goes right to energy prices and the people who pay the biggest share of their monthly income on electricity to heat their homes and to power their homes. These are families on fixed incomes and, and on low incomes. And energy efficiency is what the governor talks about. We'll, put, we'll take money and we'll, we'll pay so people can replace their windows in their homes and replace the insulation in their homes. You'll get a more efficient washer-dryer or an HVAC system. All that sounds good, but a, a 10 or 20% subsidy for a family that has to spend $10,000 on an HVAC system or $20,000 to insulate or replace the windows in their home, do you think, do you think they're going to be able to spend $10,000 to get a $2,000 rebate? And that's, that's the whole point. Right. You know, the, the poor in Philadelphia essentially are going to be subsidizing window replacement projects for you know, wealthy households on the main line. And that, that, that's the reality of Reggie. Labor show here on Saturday night. We're live on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. John Bland, Peter Gleason, uh, and Sean Lane joining us along with J. Doc. I'm Joe Krause. We'll take a commercial break. Back in a moment. This edition of the Labor Show is sponsored in part by Sprinkler Fitters Local 692, Laborers District Council, Steam Fitters Local 420, and the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 542. We're going to try to work with Republicans in a bipartisan way to find solutions to what really is not working. I'm back here live on the Labor Show with Jadok and Krause. It's our Boilermaker Union Energy Special. Uh, John Bland, Peter Gleason, Sean Lane. Sean's the president of government affairs for Olympus Power. Peter uh, is partner of the law firm of K&L Gates. He returns to the labor show with a tougher conversation tonight than the first time around. But we've got to keep blowing the horn uh, somehow. And then, of course, John Bland, uh, business manager, Boilermakers Local uh, 13. Jay Doc, here's what I want to do um, just to make sure that we cover the uh, cover enough ground and I'll let the listening audience know as well. Uh, we'll take our show up to 57. So that will give us about 15 minutes of concentrated conversation. I'm going to make sure uh, that we cover uh, what we need to cover. If I could get Governor Wolf on the phone right now, I'd get him on the phone right now to ask him why, but ne- that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's continue with the dialogue. Well, absolutely. Peter, um You've been working closely with the Power PA Jobs Alliance. It's a, it's a coalition for people who don't know of labor, business, and consumer leaders who are opposed to Reggie uh, to fight uh, the good fight on this. Where are we in the legislative process, and is there any chance uh, this can be resolved in the General Assembly to avoid costly, time-consuming litigation? Well, we have about uh, we have about three months in the legislative process for the General Assembly to muster a supermajority uh, worth of votes. So they would need 36 votes in the Senate and uh, 136 votes uh, in the House uh, to be able to say that they're in position to override a, the governor's veto. And if the Democratic leaders uh, in the House and Senate were to stand up to the governor and say, 
you know, Governor, you're putting our members in an incredibly difficult position. You're, you're, you're threatening to withhold capital budget projects unless Democrats vote against labor or vote against the best interests of, of low-income communities. Um, you know, until the House and Senate Democratic leaders are willing to stand up to the governor and, and to do the right thing, do the right thing for their members, do the right thing for labor, do the right things for, uh, you know, for residential ratepayers. Um, so that, you know, the gov- there's three ways we can win this. I mean, the governor can change his mind and he can be persuaded to do so um, based on pressure from the General Assembly and in particular the Democratic leaders. Um, the legislature could pass a piece of legislation or as they, uh, they did, as the House just did this past week, pass a resolution disapproving uh, the regulation, but that can be that will likely be vetoed by the governor, and then the Senate will have uh, essentially three months to determine whether it has the votes to override the governor. Uh, if the General Assembly comes up short, um, then it's left to the courts, and the courts are going to have to look at this. And you know, candidly, at, at that point, Attorney General Shapiro, who under the Constitution, uh, under the under state law. Uh, has to re- you know has to represent the governor uh, in litigation um, and on challenges to things like uh, you know statutorily unauthorized regulations. And and so Shapiro does. I mean, he's uh, his role in, in in the process and his responsibilities as a, uh, attorney general and his candidacy. Is there any conflict there? Well, oh, certainly it puts him in a very difficult spot. I, I, I'll be honest with you. He has said some things over the past. A couple months that have been very positive um, from the building trades perspective and very positive from the plant owner perspective and the consumer perspective. Uh, He emphasized um, how poor households that are already smothered by energy poverty would be harmed by Reggie. His quote was, I have real concerns about the impact it will have on consumer prices, hurting families at a time when many are struggling really just to put food on the table. He also acknowledged the impact on the union workers. He said, I'm really concerned about the impact on jobs in the energy sector. I do not want to displace workers from their jobs, and I'm very concerned about the process. So he has said the right things on policy. What he has also said is, as attorney general, you know, he's not in a position to make policy decisions. He has to make legal decisions. Now, while we disagree you know, with his more recent decision to say that the regulation in his you know, office's legal opinion was constitutional. You know, we believe that there were very strong bases uh, for which the attorney general could have said that it was not statutorily authorized. It was unconstitutional because it's a tax and not a fee because it raises hundreds of millions of dollars and puts it into a, a fund that would basically have discretionary power to spend it, you know, consistent with whatever the rules are for that fund. And he also, and this is where we think he really could have, uh, you know, could, could have picked the fight, is that the Air Pollution Control Act, which is the act that the Wolf administration uses to justify Reggie, has specific language in there that's intended to make sure that communities that are impacted by an environmental regulation are allowed to participate in public hearings that, they, that, that would be held in their regions. And the law is very clear. And DEP did not do that. DEP, instead of doing public hearings in you know, communities in, in Western PA and through other areas throughout the state, instead of doing hearings that allowed people to participate, he conducted 10 virtual hearings that essentially denied every person in the Commonwealth that does not have broadband access. Right. Which, for the most part, are going to be poor rural communities. It's going to be senior citizens, people who don't know how to participate through WebEx 
or through Zoom or through Microsoft Teams that, you know, they basically were denied a meaningful opportunity to participate. That, we think, would have been a good hook. Um, in any event, uh, you, know, the, you know, as I said, the attorney general is, uh, you know, will continue to have a role as a gubernatorial candidate. He's the only Democratic nominee out there. He could put pressure on the House and Senate Democrats. He could tell the leaders that they need to step up. They need to make this issue go away, because if they don't, then he is going to be the guy who has to defend this regulation over the summer and in the middle of a, of a gubernatorial campaign. And I can't imagine, certainly based on his policy concerns with Reggie, I can't imagine that, you know, that, that he or his office would be too excited about defending the regulations and, and siding with radical environmental groups and a lame tuck governor, as opposed to siding with the building trades and with, uh, and with working families and poor and fixed-income families. Uh, Sean, uh, talk about the, the actual impact uh, John Bland sent me something uh, uh, during the week in preparation for the show. Talk about how the plants, uh, you know, will get hit, uh, you know, you get, uh, you know, and, and taxed on this. Will will this potentially close uh, a, a lot of these plants? I mean, talk about the actual the impact financially, and then talk about um, the potential devastation in regards to the ty- you know, what we're, what we're actually going to lose in jobs and and related areas. Sure. Uh, well, Re- Reggie, as we noted earlier, Reggie targets fossil-fueled generation. Okay, so we're really talking, for the most part, about coal-fired power plants and natural gas plants that pay the overwhelming you know, part of this uh, tax. And the coal-fired power plants and the older uh, natural gas plants, which have a relatively higher emission of CO2, are the ones that will bear uh, the bulk of the burden. That cost is so high. I mean, literally, it's for some plants uh, over $100 million in a year. Uh, the cost of that tax is so significant that I think we can pretty confidently say that all of the coal-fired plants and many of the older natural gas-fired plants will shut down within the year that Reggie has imposed uh, upon the Pennsylvania um, energy sector. Um, so what does that mean? A bunch of power plants shut down. Is that a bad thing? Well, just think about just take our, we did a little survey of the four coal plants in Pennsylvania. Um, and it, it's, it's really stunning. And you talk about things folks don't know. I mean, I didn't, I you kind of take them for granted until you really scratch below the surface. Um, those four coal plants produce $2.87 billion in annual economic impact within Pennsylvania alone. Mm-hmm. They support 8,170 direct and indirect jobs in Pennsylvania and total employee compensation is $539 million. Additionally, they pay annually about $38 million in state and local taxes. Of course, that supports municipalities, school districts, and the like. All of that would disappear overnight. And when you think about the people, I mean, our employees, who many of whom are your members, uh, and the Boilermakers for sure, uh, they're the first and the hardest hit. But they're also the cornerstone of the communities in which they live. Right? These men and women are often their, the volunteer firefighters, the scout leaders, little league coaches. I mean, you've got a guy in our, one of our power plants who's, who's the mayor of the town in which he lives. Those folks, because of their skills, when this happens, they're not going to sit there in their home in Pennsylvania and just say, woe is me. They're going to get up, they're going to pack, and they're going to move. And where are they going to move? They're going to move, and we'll talk about that in a minute perhaps, to 
Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, Indiana, other PJM states where there's not a war on fossil fuel and where new investment is happening in new natural gas plants, as well as a rehabilitative type investment in existing coal fire plants to keep them running. And, and, and who's supposed to be picking up uh, when all of our plants close and all, you know, all these, uh, what, what's the governor's plan for um, the, the entities that are picking up uh, the ener- energy generation when, when, our, uh, when, when our plants shut down? I don't think there's anyone ser- serious who thinks that the governor's office, uh, they're, they're looking at PJM overall as a market. And I don't think they're seriously expecting Pennsylvania to replace the destroyed generation with other assets in Pennsylvania. They expect the market to pick it up, which means the discussion you had on your last show, this concept of leakage, right? The, right. the, it, the generation opportunity moves to the neighboring states, and the generation will come from those states. Yep. That's just unbelievable for, for us to, 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 to be given that. Uh, go ahead. And I did want, you know, want to point out, so you know, there, there's, there's reality, and, and then there's this, this uh, unlikely uh, vision for a future yeah. that is unlikely to occur in our lifetime. The reality, I think, as Sean just laid out, is non-Reggie fossil fuel states like West Virginia and Ohio are going to pick up all the lost generation. Their plants aren't even regulated at the same level as the plants are in Pennsylvania, so there actually will be more pollutants. But then there's this, this dream, this vision that somehow weather-dependent, uh, intermittent um, you know, generation like wind and solar is going to come in and, uh, and, and replace the lost generation. Um, so, there's, so there's 10 gigawatts of, of you know, power generation capacity in Pennsylvania for coal. If wind were to replace just those 10 gigawatts of power, just the power that the coal plants are capable of generating, it would require 4,500 square miles of land. So in other words, the entire southeastern part of the state, Philadelphia, Bucks, Chester, Delaware, Montgomery, that entire southeastern part of the state, that's 2,300 square miles. You would have to, just to replace the coal, you would have to double that and then, you, of course, you would have to put it in places that, where the wind actually does blow, which is not going to be Bucks or Chester. It's going to be in rural communities. It's going to be on mountaintops. So the effect is that their, their plan, their environmental plan is we're going we're gonna to get rid of reliable, affordable fossil fuel generation. We're going to replace it with unreliable, intermittent you know, wind and solar that relies on weather you know, to provide power. And, and in the meantime, we're going to industrialize our mountains. We're going to industrialize our farms. And for anyone to suggest that somehow that's a better environmental outcome right, than, right. You know, than, than we're relying upon our affordable, reliable generation that we have now and that could be built in the future uh, is, is, is just pretty darn absurd. And, 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 and Sean, talk about... Joe, um, I think Joe. Go ahead. Thing. I think there's a little bit of an assumption with everything right now. You will lose power generation. I mean, my area yeah. alone, you probably almost, with, with this Reggie tax, these plants will be almost a half a billion dollars they will be paid in a year with all of them. So you will lose some of them. But the, 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 the hidden secret is when they go under, a lot of them, and you're talking about your coal also, you're talking about rolling blackouts. You're under the assumption that you're going to have enough power from West Virginia and Ohio. Pennsylvania supplies a lot of power also to New York State. So the, the assumption is we're taking a look at the cost of everything, but we're in a major disaster where we're going to be like everywhere else with rolling blackouts. 
Yeah, that's a heck of a legacy. Guys, we have three minutes left before uh, we have to wrap up. Other than to scream as loud as we can for the next three <laughs> minutes, um, because I'm I'm totally confused by the governor's position on this so much that I, I, it just doesn't make any sense. I try and look at things from a logical standpoint. There's no logic here. He's not answering it. those questions that John Bland and, and Sean and, and Peter are talking about. What, what's going to replace it? What's, it's going to come from other states. Okay, we're giving up our entire infrastructure there for other states and unrealistic windmills who take it that we would need 4,500 square miles. Have we, has, has he said anything about that? Has the governor said anything about that, Peter? No, no, he hasn't. No. Nor has he said. Nor has he said anything about the fact that none of the developers for those types of projects hire the building trades to do the projects. We had yeah. on our last call. Sean Steffi told us about his. He had a union contractor you know, whittle his bid down to forty-eight dollars an hour. That's wages, benefits. That's everything. And a non-union contractor came in at twenty-two bucks an hour, less than half of what was a, a shaved-down union contractor bid. They, the unions lost the, the project, a non-union contractor got the project. So that's the other thing he doesn't talk about, uh, that you know, labor, building trades have benefited from fossil fuel development and maintenance for many, many years, and uh, it, has a, it, has a better, uh, it has less of an environmental footprint, it's more reliable, it is more affordable. You know, the dream of wind and solar replacing that is not going to happen anytime soon, and, and, and if it does happen, if it does get better, it's all going to be built by non-union contractors. Yeah. Well, Sean, we have uh, 75 seconds until I say goodbye. Let me give you the last minute to put a cap on our conversation. Sure. Well, Pete just mentioned Sean Steffi, uh, and uh, we're not brothers, but we are. Uh, he, he, he's been telling us for a while now about his guys having to go to Ohio because they're not getting work in Pennsylvania, and he's the tip of the spear in that regard. There's going to be a flight of highly skilled union labor and fresh energy investment capital leaving Pennsylvania going to our neighboring states. It's an investment and brain drain from Pennsylvania that effectively has become the COVID-19 economic recovery plan for Ohio and West Virginia. And it's a shame. And for anyone who wants to engage, anyone who wants to engage can go to powerpajobs.com or our social media accounts, uh, powerpajobs, social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's one way to get the word out, but you guys are a big part of getting the word out, and we really appreciate you having us on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Great stuff. Peter Gleason from a partner at the law firm of K&L Gates. Peter, I'll send you the full audio file of tonight's broadcast so you can push it out across all of your social media. Uh, Sean Lane, President, Government Affairs from Olympus Power, uh, LLC. Sean, whenever you need a microphone, uh, just tell John Bland and he'll connect Jay Doc and we'll give you the microphone. Um, you know, I uh, again, I'm just blown away when I listen as a consumer, as a resident, as a coal cracker from Schuylkill County who had family in the mines, it just blows me away that the governor, in position of the state, from the support that he's received from the union community, is cutting them. I just don't get it. That's going to do it for our number one of the Labor Show with J-Doc and Krause. We'll return on the other side with our number two. Back in a minute.